This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Christians in America today are living through some strange and shifting and even dangerous times. Our beloved nation, with its rich Christian history, often seems to be crumbling right before our very eyes in many different ways. And like the psalmist in Psalm 89, we might be inclined to cry out, How long, Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses? Well, we know the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and all we need to do to remind ourselves of this is to go back to the book of Daniel, because ultimately, as my next guest points out, the book of Daniel is not a morality tale that Daniel was a perfect man of God, but it's a clear reminder that God is perfect and always perfectly faithful whenever and wherever his people are in trouble, and that should give us comfort. We're going to talk about it all today with Alistair Begg, senior pastor at Parkside Church in Cleveland and Bible teacher at Truth For Life. His new book is called Brave By Faith, God-Sized Confidence in a Post-Christian World. Alistair Great to have you with us again. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks, Janet. It's nice to get a chance to talk to you. Are we, what do we do this, about once a year? Yeah, I know. It's about once a year and, and not often enough, but I always enjoy our conversations. And this is a great one. What What are your observations about how the winds are changing for Christians in America? As you mentioned in your book, this, this is kind of the premise that as Daniel's day was, we're, we're kind of feeling like we're in perilous times a little bit ourselves. Yeah, I think that uh, it's a new discovery for most of us who've lived within the sort of um, uh, acceptable buoyance of uh, cultural Christianity for for a long time here. And the sort of things that have most recently emerged uh, are things that have been on the go, if you like, underneath the surface for some time, uh, that the uh, decisions that were being made in the realm of uh, academia and uh, the things that were being established in the educational frameworks of uh, our schools and so on are now finally, if you like, rearing their ugly heads. And uh, Christians are saying, oh dear, where, where did this come from? And part of it has been that we've been naive in the earlier stages, but it is what it is. And so it's a day of challenge, but it's also a day of opportunity for us. Yeah, no doubt about that. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the reason for the Babylonian captivity, and that's that God's people had forsaken him. Now, you hear a lot of talk these days from Christians about the possibility of God's judgment. Why is America seeming to fall right now? Why do you think it's important to start with the reality of where God's people were at the time of Daniel when we're trying to understand our own times? Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's that's exactly right. That God God was sovereign over the. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was the was the the, the human instrument, but God was was divinely involved in uh, the judgment that fell on his people, and he uh, not only took them in there, but he also uh, promised to get them out of there. 
but uh, they, there was no avoiding the fact that their circumstances had changed dramatically for them, and not everybody was uh, able to handle it. You know, we, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept, and we hang our harps on the trees. We said, we can't sing these songs anymore. And it's not uncommon at the moment to hear Christian people in America sounding very, very similar yeah. to those miserable souls, you know, by the river of Babylon. And that's why a fellow like Daniel and his friends were so important, because they were speaking to the people of their age, saying, come on now, uh, you've got to remember that God is sovereign in these things, and that he has a plan and purpose for us, that we may not see the end of ourselves, but nevertheless, we may trust him. Oh, that's right. It's interesting to me, and I'm sure it is to a lot of listeners, that when you first start reading the book of Daniel, you see him and his friends, we commonly know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, brought to the palace, and their first act of obedience to God was to refuse the king's food and wine. Now, that's an interesting story because they end up gaining weight by eating vegetables, which clearly is a sign that the Lord is with them. But what do you make of that particular first act of obedience? Well, it, it, is, it, it does cause us to stop and say, well, of all the things that they might have decided to make, if you like, uh, a point about, uh, this, is, uh, this is at least to our eyes and to our ears uh, striking. Yeah. But then we realize that um, their, their dietary laws or their conviction about these things were simply an external outworking of a, a deeply held conviction <laughs> about what it meant for them to belong to God and to be the children of God and to obey the law of God, so that they were able to allow them to change their name. Uh, They were prepared to uh, go through the uh, system of education, um, at least listen to it, not necessarily buy it. But they said, you know, there's a point at which we won't go any further. And uh, so for them, that's where they made the point. And the wonderful thing about it is, is as you point out, Janet, that uh, they ended up a lot better off than the folks who went along with the routine program. Yeah, that's right. It's interesting. You know, something else that I think is very interesting is that these men, Scripture says, were found by the king to have 10 times as much wisdom and understanding as the king's own magicians and enchanters. But it's kind of an interesting paradox because on the one hand, you read this and the king obviously relies on Daniel for the interpretation of dreams and so forth. And yet these men also endured great trials. How do you reconcile those two things that at the one hand you have the king respecting them and on the other hand that they're put through incredible difficulties throughout the book of Daniel too? Well, you know, in many ways he's a pragmatist, isn't he? I mean, he needs he needs an answer and if he can't get it in his, in his, his uh, usual group, then he's prepared to go out with that. Yes. Um, you know, people, people uh, search out what they want. They're prepared to pick and choose in order to uh, sleep at night, if you like. Hmm. And so he's an, he's an illustration of that. And, and I think the wonderful thing is that he could recognize the same way that people can recognize in our cultural today, culture today that, that there is a dimension uh, to people who know God, uh, who, who are able to be strong and to do exploits for him, that they're not obnoxious people, that they're not uh, arrogant people. Uh, there is a humility about them, there is a sensitivity about them, but that there is an unshakable core in them, that they refuse to buckle under that kind of pressure. And unfortunately, 
um, it's very, very easy for us just to become, you know, uh, sort of like the two old men on the Muppets, you know, who, who <laughs> sit up on the balcony and just complain about everything and just, just yeah. they're not engaged. They, they just, they just have a view about everything and they, and they get increasingly cantankerous the, the longer the series goes. And there is a sense in which you find that amongst, you know, some of us who are a little bit long in the tooth now. Oh dear, <laughs> I remember when it used to be terrific. I remember the days when, you know, and now look at where we are. Well, yeah, okay, we get that, but why don't you just pause for a moment and think about the fact that you've got children and grandchildren coming behind you, and you either believe that God is sovereign over all of this or you don't. And if you do, then it ought to change your mentality and it ought to change your attitude. Well, it should. And and this goes along with the title of your book, because it seems what you're really trying to do is you're drawing these parallels between Daniel's situation in Babylonia and our own day is you're trying to say to Christians, it would seem you need to trust in Daniel's God and get some courage for the hour that might be ahead of us and very well could be ahead of us. Yeah, it's Paul to Timothy, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's not Timothy, be strong. Yes. It's not uh, be brave like Daniel. No, it is trust Daniel's God and discover how you can take a stand in the way that Daniel and his friends took a stand. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, too, when you hear about the dare to be a Daniel that we all sang in Sunday school, if that really is part of the problem when you're talking about the, the guys in the Muppets that sat in the balcony and offered critiques of what was going on on stage all the time, that if you're used to being an observer more than a participant in what the Lord is doing in the world, then maybe you will be more inclined to be a little bit paralyzed when things turn in a sour direction. And we're going to get into more on that. Alistair Begg is joining us. Brave by Faith is his book, and we'll be coming back on Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. Emmy was in a bad relationship when she found out she was pregnant. Her boyfriend told her to get an abortion, which she seriously considered. I knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Emmy went to a pre-born center in need of guidance. They honestly were able to put every fear at ease and let me know that it was going to be okay. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Because of them, he's here. Preborn clinics introduce moms in crisis to their babies through ultrasound while providing hope, love, and the gospel of Jesus Christ in action. Would you join Preborn in helping more moms choose life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies from abortion. And this month, through a match, your tax-deductible gift is doubled. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. 855-402-2229 or there's a preborn banner to click at janetmefford.com. 
Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new healthcare program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, this is a great question. How can we have God-sized confidence in a post-Christian world? A lot of us have been trying to figure this out, and it goes back to a very simple truth. We need to have absolute confidence in our holy triune God who saved us through Jesus Christ. And the same God who is with us now is the same God who is with Daniel in the lion's den and the friends in the fiery furnace. And we're exploring a little bit about the book of Daniel with Alistair Begg. Brave by Faith is the name of his book. Let's talk about some of these things, Alistair. There are obviously some high points in the book of Daniel that people will recall, one of which would be Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, and it's been pointed out, and, and you've said this as well, that here, here when we're looking at Daniel, for example, this is a man who's just continuing his obedience, it would seem. It's not like he seemed to have a, a huge dramatic moment when he was told, you got to stop praying. He just kept on doing what he was doing. And how do you look at that particular passage and, and explain that to Christians on, on how we can really draw that kind of courage when we are facing maybe some very difficult circumstances as to our Christian obedience conflicting with the values of the world? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, well, you know, crisis doesn't produce um, the faith. It reveals, you know, what what we have. When, you know, when you get a cancer diagnosis, then it now we get a a real question here about what we believe. And when things begin to fall apart in in family relationships or whatever it might be, and I think that the thing that struck me in going through these studies was that. You know, Daniel was probably about 20, let's say, uh, when he's hauled away into into Babylon. And by the time uh, we're getting close to the end of the story, he's probably in his early 80s. <laughs> so it is a life of steady consistency. And one of the challenges that I took from it was, you know, I will never be at 80, uh, suddenly, you know, a spiritual giant, unless um, there there is a steady progress in you know, humble obedience and trust and confidence uh, in in the living God, and and you know, it's really it's it's amazing in at every stage in the story. You know, Daniel doesn't come out as uh, a kind of spiritual Schwarzenegger or something <laughs> like that. In fact, you know, the thing that struck me about it was many of the parts that I don't get into in the in the in the closing chapters of Daniel where people have got all these very, very clear and definitive explanations as to the fulfillment of all of these prophetic words. When you realize, you know, Daniel's response to the things that were shown him, you know, he says at one point, my spirit within me was anxious 
when the visions of my head alarmed me. Uh, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed. You know, at one point he went to his bed for two weeks. <laughs> yeah. So, so the idea of, you know, well, here's a big, you know, here's a big tough guy. No, here is a vulnerable person. Here is a, here is a, you know, somebody made in the image of God. Here is somebody trying to work out his own salvation with fear and trembling. So in many ways, you know, it, it ought to be an encouragement to us that uh, a life of steady consistency, uh, you know, in the humdrum everyday events of life, it has, has, uh, has lasting value and will be observable by the people around. Yeah. I mean, the only way they could catch him out was because of his consistency. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if prayer had been for Daniel a kind of uh, uh, glandular condition, uh, you know, a sort of uh, spasmodic uh, experience, then they would never have been able to go and capture him. Right. But they went because they knew that he prayed in the same way. Yeah. And he didn't start doing that because he was annoyed. You know, he didn't stop wearing a mask because they said wear a mask. <laughs> he, 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 he prayed because he prayed. Yeah. And the impact of it was, of course, as we know, the end of the story. Well, something else along those lines that you point out that I think is great is you talk about he didn't panic. For example, when you have King Nebuchadnezzar furious that his sorcerers couldn't tell him his dream, and then they were looking to execute these wise men of Babylon, and the commander of the king's guard goes out to execute them, and Daniel says, why is the decree from the king so harsh? He, I mean, that's a pretty yeah. measured response when you consider that he could have been next. That's just, again, it seems a confidence in God that was just with him, even in a very scary situation. Yeah, I I think so. And and, uh, that's why I enjoyed the studies. And that's why I think at the moment, in a way that we never intended, because the lead time for, for the book went, you know, goes back quite a long way. We never really understood as we put the book together just how uh, timely it would be right. arriving in the midst of all of the aggressive um, pushback against uh, things that are foundational to Christian uh, conviction and to Christian living. Yes, very providential, the timing of your book, given the circumstances. I, I also yeah. appreciated what you said. Nebuchadnezzar is a very interesting character in the book, of course, because here he is at one point saying, you know, isn't this Babylon the great that I've built by my power? And he ends up eating grass. And then when he returns yeah. his eyes to heaven, his sanity is restored. But what of the foolishness of idolatry? Uh, what is your reaction to some of the idolatry that you see throughout Daniel that is so horrible and leads to so many problems? Because I think there are some parallels in our own day, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, well, you know, essentially the ultimate idolatry is the idolatry of ourselves. Yep. That, you know, as someone has said, you know, we, we seek to put ourselves in the place of God. And the story of the gospel is that God has come and put himself in our place, you know, that we, we are uh, happy uh, as long as uh, we are autonomous, <laughs> that we can make our own plans, we can determine our own destiny. And, you know, the, the, the idolatry of self, is, I mean, this is, the, this is the generation that has given us the selfie of all things. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's almost... It's almost funny how bizarre it really is yeah. that we we you know this is my life. Nobody will tell me about my life. No, this is uh, this is uh, 
this is what I believe. This is this is my lived experience. This is my truth. Uh, I I will decide my gender for myself or whatever whatever it might be. At the very heart of this is the is the fact that we are in rebellion against God, that our hearts are actually desperately wicked, and the folly of idolatry is that we refuse to acknowledge uh, all that we know of God by creation, both by his evidence in his world, by conscience, and by the fact that he's placed eternity in our hearts. And just like the people in in, in the days of uh, uh, the prophets, you know, we, we go and, and uh, create for ourselves uh, idols that offer what they cannot provide, yeah. that they're self-depleting. And and I think that one of the opportunities of the time is to be able to say to people, you know, if you really want an adventure, if you want to really make a discovery about the nature of life, if you want to look for a narrative that makes sense, then uh, you might want to consider what uh, what we're saying here. And we need to be a little more skillful in engaging with people in the way in which we speak to them and and also the way in which we listen to them. Some of us are very poor listeners because we talk too much. At least that's what my wife said. (laughs) Yeah, I have that problem myself at times. I understand exactly what you're talking about. But what you say is so much better, so I appreciate listening to you. (laughs) You know, when when we, and I know we don't have but a few minutes left here, Alistair, but when we're talking about Daniel's prayer ending up being kind of this form of protest against the state that won't uh, obviously acquiesce to God's ultimate authority, higher authority, this brings up the important principle of civil disobedience. I know we don't have a lot of time to get into it, but where might we have to draw the line as Christians against the state in coming days, do you think? Well, well, definitely. If, for example, uh, the idea of hate speech would include this, the clear statements of the Bible, then uh, that, would, that would have to be one area. You know, if for some reason they said that uh, to uh, maintain the exclusive claims of Jesus in our increasingly pluralistic and syncretistic world, would be uh, uh, hate speech, then we would have to do that. If, for example, they were going to come and uh, tell us that our children would have to be um, uh, educated in a particular way, uh, that we would have to uh, stand against that. Um, The challenges for individuals, for example, working in the world of medicine in the uh, the, uh, area of uh, disease and so on. There, there are many areas here in, in the legal world as well. And part of the challenge for us as pastors, and I speak as a pastor, is knowing how to encourage our people to be strong and to hold the line without thinking that holding the line means that somehow or another they have to denigrate what, everything, what everybody else is doing. Mm. Um, you're right, it's a big question. And and needs to be thought out. I'm always wary of people who want immediately to apply the exception clause. Yes. <laughs> you know, well, well, judge for yourselves whether it's right for us to obey you or to obey God. Yes. Because in actual fact, the reason that's an exception clause is because it is exceptional. And and if you take, for example, Paul writing in his closing letters to, to Titus in Crete, he's, he's urging them to, 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 to make sure that his people are as respectful as they can be, that are involved in goodness, that they are the kind of people that a culture would look upon and could find no fault with. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, is exactly what was true 
of Daniel and his friends. That's what infuriated people. And so that's why Peter, when he writes, he says, you know, live such good lives among the pagans so that they, 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 they will be silenced. Their foolish talk will be silenced, not by you shouting them down, but because they see the integrity and, and quality of your life. And as, as Christian people, we, we probably need to take a long, hard look at what that means, certainly as we look to the next decade here. Well, that's an excellent point. Alistair Begg from Truth For Life and Parkside Church, the name of the book, Brave By Faith. So great to talk to you again, Alistair. Thank you so much for being with us. My privilege, Janet. Thanks for having me. You bet. God bless you. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Well, I told you last week about my experience at Bath & Body Works. They had this big display in their store of their Love Always Wins collection, a pro-LGBT line of body lotion and bath gel, along with this sign that said Bath & Body Works is donating $1 million to the Human Rights Campaign, the biggest pro-homosexual lobbying group in America, probably the world as well. And then I told the clerk I was not going to shop there anymore because I'm well aware, though, that we have to do more than just that. We have to fight back against this radical sexual activism and do more than just curtail our purchases. Well, how do we do this? Well, I'm really grateful that the National Center for Public Policy Research's Free Enterprise Project is now out with a very important report. It's called Balancing the Boardroom, How Conservatives Can Combat Corporate Wokeness. And it highlights both those who are actively working in the corporate world to undermine American freedoms and values and some very disturbing corporate trends, including support for extremist groups like the Human Rights Campaign and the Southern Poverty Law Center. Not only that, but it seems that many CEOs, when confronted, are unable to defend their support for the so-called Equality Act, which is being pushed by the Human Rights Campaign. So there's a lot to discuss. We're going to do so now with Justin Danhoff, who is General Counsel for the National Center for Public Policy Research and Director of the Free Enterprise Project. Justin, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Janet. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my delight to have you here. Let's start with your new report on combating corporate wokeness, because this is very, very important. Give us an overview, if you would, on what you would say the state of leftist activism is right now at the corporate level. Oh, it's as bad as it's ever been. Um, (laughs) It's really it's really quite stunning. You know, there's more, you know, if we just take two issues, we can we can highlight some numbers. Right. So. Again, there's more than 400 companies that the Human Rights Campaign has coalesced um, to support the, the, the ill-named Equality Act, right? Yeah. And on the issue of voter integrity, the last I checked, there was over 1,200 companies, 1,200 companies on the wrong side of voter integrity in Georgia. Wow. So think about that. That's just two issues. And we have 1,600 of the leading American companies on the wrong side of it. So, you know, the, the instinct that you had um, at the store the other day, it's, I understand the instinct, but my message to folks is if you're really going to boycott your way out of the problem, good luck. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I don't have time. I don't have time to check, check a list of 1600 companies before I go to a store 
let alone then when I get to the store I'm allowed to go to, what the heck can I even put in my cart? Yeah. You right. need you need an army to check, to check all the products. <laughs> yeah. You're right. I mean, that's exactly what it is. It was just kind of a knee jerk. Okay, I got to tell somebody, no, you're giving a million bucks to the human rights campaign. It's not like the human rights campaign is wanting for cash either. I mean, these people are drowning in money. They've got so much control over corporate America. And yet, as you've pointed out, you guys have done some great work here. A lot of these CEOs apparently don't even know what they're supporting. Is that re- is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, well, first of all, I, I encourage, you know, all the listeners, just Google human rights campaign corporate sponsors. Okay. It's a who's who of business across industry spectrums, right? So let's, let's get over the target and let's figure out, you know, who these companies are that quite literally fund the human rights campaign for the privilege of having the human rights campaign then dictate their corporate policy. Right. Right. So we'll get into that in a minute. But yeah, it's been pretty interesting, right? We, we have confronted the CEOs of Marriott Hotels, Wyndham Hotels, Intel, Capital One, and others. And it's just very clear in the responses we've gotten uh, from these CEOs that they are either completely blithely unaware what the Equality Act would do to things like women's sports, women's safety at women's shelters, and religious freedom in general, um, or you know they're, they're 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 so afraid to talk about it that they run and hide. Wow. Um, and, and so because when you confront them with the actualities of the bill, you know the, we're speaking truth, right? They yeah. they can just sign their name up to a human rights campaign sign up sheet, but when we ask them to put their you know put put action behind it, you know, say what you really support, they can't do it, right? Like, oh, well, exactly. we all support equality. Well, well, no, th- this is federal law that would have real, you know, human consequences. Where are you? And we've, we've pushed back on all of them. And why have we been able to push back? Because we're investors. Yeah. yeah. For decades, the decades, affinity groups of all stripes on the left have been buying shares in companies. They haven't been boycotting or divesting. Sure, they threatened to do that, but they've actually bought up shares um, to be the voice in the room on, again, whatever their issue is, whether you know it's LGBTQ issues or whether it's a, a far-left green group on environmental issues. Um, they've been the voice uh, in, in the boardroom having that conversation for two-plus decades while conservatives have really ignored the corporate cultural lane to our peril, I'd have to say. Yeah, you're right about that. In fact, I want to pause just for a second because I've pulled one of the conversations here that happened. You guys have posted some great audio of some of these calls that took place with some of these CEOs being asked about the Equality Act. And I, you had asked a question, I know, of Wyndham Hotels and Resorts at the annual shareholder meeting just a few days ago. And I, I they took your question and they, they phrased it differently. And I got to play this cut so people can hear this. This is Wyndham CEO Jeffrey Bellotti uh, asking if there are any shareholder questions. And this is how it went. This is cut one. Paul, any questions yet submitted? Uh, Yes, Jeff. Uh, We do have a question here that asks about the company's commitment to human rights. And will you read the uh, question, Paul? The question comes from a Justin Danhoff of the National Center for Public Policy Research and I will shorten the question in the interest of time, but uh, Mr. Danhoff is inquiring about uh, a specific um, law called the Equality Act, and, and I think generally asking about our commitment to human rights and gender equality. Well, I, we certainly uh, support um, 
and all aspects, uh, human rights and, and gender equality. We're uh, very pleased if, uh, if you look out onto our um, human rights campaign um, progress that we reported uh, just recently with our 2021 annual social responsibility report, which is uh, certainly available on our investor website, um, our commitment to, uh, to, to, to both. And uh, as it relates to, uh, to gender pay equality, uh, we were very pleased to have achieved um, uh, a 95%, uh, 100% gender pay equality at our executive levels and 95% uh, gender pay equality below our executive uh, levels. Okay, that was Wyndham CEO Jeffrey Bellotti, Justin, ostensibly answering your question, but I don't see anything in your original question about gender pay equality. It seems like the guy who transferred the question to the CEO, you know, kind of took apart your question, took all the important stuff out of it, and, and then you got this answer that doesn't really answer the question that you wanted answered. And it's just comical, too, because I was the only shareholder that asked a question, so there was no time crunch, right? <laughs> they weren't answering dozens and dozens of questions. And basically, if you look at the length of the question, he maybe took out a total of like seven or eight words. Yeah. But those seven or eight words are the most important parts because I asked specifically, um, you know, based on the criticism uh, that this would eviscerate female sports and cancel, you know, federal religious freedom protections, does the company support all of the Equality Act or just some of it? Right. Because, you know, again, when companies get involved in legislative battles on the Hill, every once in a while, there are, you know, folks who are corporations that only support portions of the legislation. And that's what I want to know. Are these company CEOs really trying to, you know, end end protection for females um, on numerous levels? Again, it's not just sports, but sports is where it's, you know, the most obvious and and visual. Right. Um, And where it's already happening in some states such as Connecticut. And so, you know, again, if the company is so proud of its support for the Equality Act, well, why can't, you know, the, 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 the legal secretary that's taking the questions and filtering them, why can't he have the courage to ask the right question? And by the way, you should know that ori- originally that gentleman named Paul um, claimed that there were absolutely no questions for the meeting. So I submitted it three straight times and I said, you better ask the question. Wow. Um, because they're, they're so afraid of it. Because, because again, why, why have we gotten to this point? Well, I guarantee you when, when these companies signed up with the Human Rights Campaign to support the Equality Act, they did not think there was going to be pushback. Yeah. Because for decades, there hasn't been. You know, conservatives, Christians, you know, Republicans, right of center folks have just really ignored business while the left has been taking their march through the corporate culture away in the same way they marched through academia, yep. mainstream media, Hollywood. We just were asleep at the switch. It's true. Hang on just a second, Justin. We do have to pause for a short break. We'll come back with Justin Danhoff talking about balancing the boardroom, how conservatives can combat corporate wokeness. Stay with us. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new healthcare program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options 
options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering health care, you'll receive so much in return. It's an amazingly rewarding experience. You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid. It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on this ship either wants to come back and do it again or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth time. So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today. I would say go for it. Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Well, it is incredible what's going on in some of these big corporations. The wokeness is out of control. We had examples recently from Coca-Cola, for example, chastising people within their company for being white and try to tone down the whiteness. And there was a lot of backlash, thankfully, to that. And they kind of stopped doing that, at least publicly. But boy, there is some crazy stuff going on at the corporate level. And I'm really glad that the Free Enterprise Project at the National Center for Public Policy Research is out with this key report. Balancing the Boardroom, How Conservatives Can Combat Corporate Wokeness. And Justin Danhoff is with us, General Counsel and also the Director of the Free Enterprise Project. Justin, we were discussing some of your you know, attempts here to get answers from CEOs on the Equality Act and how they really don't seem to either answer the question directly or to even explain in detail what they like about the Equality Act. And you brought up something really important, which is for a long time, conservatives really have done nothing about this. We have not necessarily gone after some of these directors, these people on the boards of directors of these corporations, and and holding we're not holding them accountable. How do you propose we go about doing that? Yeah, sure. So there's two things, Janet. First, um, it, it, it's what I like to say at every annual publicly traded company shareholder meeting, right? Every, every large publicly traded company has to have a shareholder meeting every single year. And there's two sets of votes that are very important. The first, as you mentioned, is for board members. Every board member is up for a vote, vote every year. And the second are for shareholder resolutions. And so what I like to say is we have the equivalent of a red or purple state election that goes blue every single year <laughs> because the left shows up and votes. They vote their dollars on these on both sets, on board members and on shareholder proposals. And the right simply doesn't show up. Yeah. Let's take Apple, for example. Al Gore sits on the board of Apple. <laughs> and believe me, it's not because he invented the Internet. Okay. <laughs> Well, he gets like 99% of the vote every year, but something like 30 to 35% of the vote doesn't show up, Hmm. right? So what does that evidence bear out? Again, the left is coalescing their money. They're voting and the right isn't paying attention here. And so folks get, you know, you're mad at Coca-Cola, you're mad at Delta Airlines, you're mad at whoever. Well, guess what? Open up your portfolio. If you have shares in the company, you need to exercise your voice. 
you need to engage your franchise and vote. And so that's what Balancing the Boardroom is here to help you with, right? If you come to nationalcenter.org, check out Balancing the Boardroom. Um, if you subscribe to our weekly emails, we'll even give you like, hey, by the way, you know, the vote for Coca-Cola is this week or Bank of America. Here's how we recommend you vote. So we, we really break it down and simplify it. And the second set of votes, again, a, a lot of folks, you know, their eyes glaze over when they see things like an, you know, ESG shareholder resolution from a, an anodyne sounding named group. <laughs> well, folks, let me tell you the power of shareholder resolutions in one quick story. Four years or so ago, groups like the SEIU with the support of people like Jesse Jackson were pushing for these affirmative action policies for boards of directors, right? You must have set-asides for women and under underrepresented minorities. Right. Why did they say they needed to do that? Well, because to help the companies avoid groupthink at the top. So what are they saying logically? All women think the same based on their gender? I don't know. I used to, we used to call that sexism in America. But anyway... <laughs> Fast forward to 2020, Goldman Sachs said that we will not bring your company public. That is, we will not finance your IPO, your initial public offering, unless your board is sufficiently diverse in our eyes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And then NASDAQ in December of 2020, they went to the SEC to seek permission to kick any company off of the exchange, off of their public market. If they didn't have at least two diverse board seats. Okay. And I mean, that's just wild. Like kick them off of the NASDAQ. Yes. Well, so in three to four years, the idea went from shareholder proposal being pushed by the SEIU and Jesse Jackson to the agent of change being Goldman Sachs and the NASDAQ. Mm. So that, and I, I can run that story on environmental resolutions that then get up to federal regulatory levels and the rest. Right. So the agent of change is very, very quick with these resolutions and they have a tremendous impact on our culture. But again, the evidence bears out that the left is showing up to support these things in droves. First of all, the imbalance of proposals is something we need to talk about. The left has dozens and dozens of well-capitalized groups, and I mean representing billions and billions of dollars, that annually file four, five, six hundred shareholder resolutions on all of their pet issues, right? Mm -hmm. So on all the LGBTQ issues, on these racial justice training issues and the like, the left is in there engaging. We're the only group right of center that has actively been filing resolutions for the past decade. Incredible. <laughs> and I have a staff of one. Goodness. Well, we thank can file maybe 20 in a given year. That's amazing. And so think about that. First of all, the companies aren't even hearing from us because we're not showing up, we're not voting, and we're not filing resolutions to be voted on to begin with. But the left is, and then the left is showing up to vote. Yep. So again, folks, if you want to know how we've lost the corporate cultural lane to the point of the wokeness just smacking you in the face on a daily basis, it's because the left has been constantly, vigorously engaged. Yep, yep. And it's that way all across the cultural spectrum. It seems the left is working 24-7 to try to change everything and make it woke. And, and the conservatives are living their lives and going to their jobs and raising their families. But, boy, you, you, can't, you can't sit on the sidelines when all of this is going on. So, for example, you talk about corporate donations to the human rights campaign fueling anti-religious bigotry, which is completely true. You're recommending voting against all the board members of companies like Apple, Coca-Cola, Intel, Microsoft, Pfizer, Target, some of the others, this can be done. I mean, a lot of people have these stocks. Well, that's right. I mean, again, just 
open up your portfolio, look at your 401k um, and, and take action. And believe me, this guide could have been like thousands of pages long, yeah. pages longer, but we wanted to, you know, simplify it. So, cause we know folks are, are very, very busy. And again, you know, the, the other thing is, okay, I'm not an investor. What should I do, Justin? Well, guess what? Every company has this thing called customer relations, mm-hmm. right? So if you're just, if you're a consumer, then you have avenues of engagement as well. I, I think what you did at the store is important. Uh, was it Bed Bath & Beyond, I think you said, uh, or Bath & Body Works? Yes. Um, I, I think that that's important for another reason, because another part of this problem, and I, you know, as you can imagine, I give presentations on this that can go many hours, but part of the problem is the workforce, right? We're, yes. we're having this self-censoring of, of conservatives and traditional-minded Americans in business, because, again, they're not really hearing from us. But if they did more often, when they engage with management, they might be like, hey, guess what? You know, 12 folks came into my store just on Tuesday and said they're done shopping here because of this, you know, big promotion we've got going on. This hurts me. Right. You know, think of like a franchisee who might hear that. That's a, you know, and look, we're in an important market for the company. So maybe we shouldn't be taking these stances. We need to give voice to those employees who feel like right now they can't say anything because Janet, I got to tell you, I have meetings with folks uh, at, at the high C-suite levels of these, you know, Fortune 500 companies all the time, and I ask them why they are taking so many far-left positions. Why do you fund Planned Parenthood, human rights campaign? Just, it doesn't even matter. Just take the issue. They all say, Justin, that's what our employees want us to do, <laughs> because they're hearing from the most vocal woke employees. Yeah. Where the real cancel culture is the, you know, the employee at Coca-Cola who doesn't want to go to that, you know, Robin D'Angelo training that says all white people are oppressors and all black people are oppressed. And by the way, somehow be less white while you're at it. Yeah, right. Right. That's the cancel culture is that employee who doesn't have voice to go to HR and say, this is ridiculous. Exactly. I'm not a white supremacist. I'm not going to be less white. I'm not going to apologize. But they don't have the courage right now to do that. That's true, because people are afraid of losing their jobs. They see what's happened with leftists putting together lists p- before the election and what they'll do to Trump administration officials. And now they're doing it. This refusal to hire former Trump administration employees. You see people being canceled. You see, you know, it, it's scary. And the censorship of of right voices and center right voices. People see this stuff. But I think this is so great, Justin, because this really you know, underscores the importance, like you've said, of average people, Christians, conservatives, speaking up, being a part of the voice. You shouldn't be the only one, Justin, going to these shareholder meetings and and raising objections. I mean, there should be hundreds and thousands of people who are joining you, which is exactly why I wanted to highlight this report. But you have mentioned before where people can take a look at this, and I want to give a shout out to the website one more time. It's nationalcenter.org. And when you go there, you can find this report. It's called Balancing the Boardroom, How Conservatives Can Combat Corporate Wokeness. And it's just such an important thing for you to read. So many good points and so much good information. And Justin Danhoff from the National Center for Public Policy Research, thank you for the great work that you do, Justin. And I hope a lot more people will get involved thanks to your information and your willingness to share it with us. So thank you so much. Thank you, Janet. God bless. You bet. God bless you, too. Once again, nationalcenter.org. That's the National Center for Public Policy Research website. Read that report and get involved as you see fit. All right. Well, we got to go. We thank you so much for joining us again on Janet Meffer today. God bless you. We'll see you next time.